Hello and welcome to a special work-released episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be reviewing 1998's He Got Game. We're going to get into five-point inspection with Praise Jesus, Fast Break, One-on-One, See the Light and Over the Wall. But before we do, let's go ahead and check in on the shop. Hollywood Chop Shop, this is Travis. Oh, hey, Jake. No, no, Brett's not actually in yet. Uh, he act- No, he said he was going to call you. Oh, really? Yeah, no, he knows. He knows. Jake, I'll tell him to give you a call as soon as he gets in. All right. All right, bye. Uh, hey, man, are you going to be in the office soon? Jake has already called twice this morning uh, looking to talk about the tire sponsorship. Uh, he said you haven't been returning his calls. Oh, right. Uh, well, I'm on the way now. Uh, I had a morning tea time with uh, with Billy Sunday. Uh, Billy Sunday from Dunlop? Yeah, man. He, uh, he said that if we make Dunlop the official tire of the Hollywood Chop Shop, we could get uh, he could get us both memberships to the club. But uh, you you gave your word to Jake that we'd help him out on the startup. And we still might. I don't exactly remember what I said to him, but I, I think we got to weigh our options. You know, speaking of, you might want to free up your schedule for Saturday. Tim over at Goodyear, uh, he got us floor seats for the Lakers game. Whoa, holy shit, with the Knicks in town? Uh, but Goodyear, Dunlop, country clubs, uh, this is starting to feel a little bit sus, and I, I don't need to tell you, Jake, as you know, your uncle, for Christ's sake. Relax, amigo. I, I'm just trying to uh, to get our beaks wet, you know? Uh, listen, listen, Brent, I just don't want to see you in a position whereas you burn a bridge with your uncle over a round of golf, you know? Well, again, memberships, but that's fair. I'll give Jake another week to convince me. In the meantime, let's go ahead and review He Got Game. An incarcerated father is given a unique opportunity to take years off his prison sentence if he can convince his high school son to enroll in the current governor's alma mater. With the enrollment deadline quickly approaching, Jake only has seven days outside the prison walls to rekindle the estranged relationship and guide his son Jesus to pursue basketball at Big State. Can Jesus look past the sins of his old man, or will his father be forsaken? Alrighty, Travis, we're going to get into five-point inspection, but before we do, I would love to hear your quick diagnostic of He Got Game. Absolutely. Uh, As usual, I like to give a little bit of context, if I can remember when I first saw the movie. Uh, Shout out to my brother, Joey. Uh, He was over at my house, and my uh, mother and stepfather rented this movie, despite not it really being in their their wheelhouse, demographic-wise. And uh, me and Joey have been basketball heads since small kids. Um, So we were extremely excited to watch this movie, but we were forbidden to watch it, even though they rented it. 
<laughs> I he wonder was worth why. The trouble we got into. <laughs> uh, um, that being said, I've grown up with this movie. I say it all the time through a critical lens. I, I got some beef. Uh, but most importantly, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you think about it, because this was your first time watching it, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. And to your point, I mean, you say you enjoy wanted to watch it because you're basketball heads. But I mean, basketball is kind of the background of this movie. Like it's I guess it's the it's the tool for which to give the character something to base around. But really, this is a, a family drama is more so what this movie is. And um, I mean, it goes without saying Denzel's performance is, you know, holy shit, anything he's in, you like, you just want to see more of him. Like, he's just such a fucking phenomenal actor. So, I mean, if nothing else, I absolutely love Denzel in this. Admittedly, I haven't seen a lot of Spike Lee films, um, but this was interesting. I enjoyed the movie. So at the end of the day, I thought it was long. It was one of these where I actually, you know, I hate to say it. I did have to take a break about halfway through just because I did not give myself enough time to watch it my first sitting because I, I think it's like two and a half hours long. And I was expecting, I don't know, I think I could have stretched it if it was closer to the two hour mark. But knowing that I still had another 30 minutes past that, I was like, this feels like a good place to stop. Um, So I actually wound up watching this in two sittings. But um, the thing I will say that, that stood out immediately to the most, and I didn't get this into a five-point inspection, but I do want to bring it up because I think it's very important, is the score for this movie is very, very interesting. Um, and I have to assume it was done on purpose, whether it's the reason I came up with or not. I don't know, but ultimately, I think it's Aaron Copeland... Um, is most of the movie is scored by Aaron Copeland, who is like a prolific American composer. And then the other half of the music or other portion of it is public enemy. But Aaron Copeland, most people will notice. I mean, it's basically when I hear Eric Copeland, I almost think of, he's like the, 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 um, the Rockwell of music. Like it's just very small town America. Like that's what I think of, like, you know, maybe the thirties and forties, like, that era of stuff so to have that music played over essentially it's a you know a black community in the in the projects my thought was spike lee had to be making a statement to the point where like you know this is the music that you play over these classic american tells but there's another side of that that people seem to forget you know like there's still these classic american stories that are in the the city not in these small white towns and stuff like that. So I thought that the music choice was really interesting, and I actually really loved the juxtaposition because it's not what you would have expected, especially during the the very beginning credits. And even like if you look at the the box art for the movie, that's not the direction I thought the movie was going to go in, and it was a very pleasant surprise to me. Yeah, I agree with your theory on why he does it. And I know you said basketball is just kind of the backdrop of this, but I think it's also important to display that basketball is not just an urban game. I mean, you think about the movie Hoosiers, you know, Jimmy Chitwood. Basketball is mm. almost universal, well, and that's, uh, especially internationally at this point. And that's how it but starts it, off it, with the that. opening credits. Sorry. Do a good job of showing that too. Just all the courts across America, all the types of people who enjoy playing basketball. So the music and that those visuals accomplish that immediately for me. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the way the movie starts off with that. You know, again, that Aaron Copeland score. It is primarily, I believe, like 
white people playing basketball in small towns and then suddenly it starts to transition and it grows and then ultimately we we end up in like the the urban uh city or the urban core in in the city and like i said it's a it's a a great transition and then i honestly thought it was gonna be one of those things watching like oh they're gonna do this and then he's we're gonna drop and then like no it's like spike lee commits to that through the entire movie like like i said it is a a very interesting juxtaposition that i thought was done very very well and i I, like i said i really enjoyed how he used that score to kind of you know as we're agreeing we think it was again to kind of say like these are these are also american stories you know like let's not forget about things that aren't just your small towns yeah absolutely and i mean if the music comes up again feel free to mention it because there are so many scenes where especially like the basketball scene of them kind of undercover playing against other people and pick up and then revealing hey we're lincoln high you've seen a million basketball scenes scored to like hip hop, but that game scored by Aaron Copeland, it just changes the whole vibe. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can't compliment that enough. Same as you. So with that, I think we kind of teased a five point inspection here. Do you have any desire where we want to start? Um, I want to get the elephant in the room out of the way, which is I didn't the praise see that. Jesus category. Oh, oh, okay. Praise Jesus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So praise Jesus. I assume. Where did you think I was going? Oh, I just I didn't remember us having one called Elephant in the Room, so I was confused. But it's just that, oh, oh, no. you know, I got to be less literal. Maybe that's Aunt Sally because Uncle Bubba tells her to get her big ass back in the kitchen. <laughs> Jeez. Uncle Bubba, fuck, fucking Uncle Bubba. Again, I love Uncle Bubba because he's introduced as being like, "Oh, your father just wants your money," and then he immediately reveals that all he cares about is getting money from Jesus as well. So I just I love how quickly Uncle Bubba loses credibility in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil it, and we can get into Praise Jesus, but uh, Uncle Bubba's the star of my chop shop this week. All right, so Praise Jesus. I assume this is about Ray Allen. Indeed. Um, so a little bit of background. I don't know how much research you did. Uh, Ray Allen was not Spike Lee's first choice. He always wanted to use a real basketball player. Uh, he had his mind on Kobe Bryant. Uh, Kobe Bryant had a tough rookie year, at least the end of it. Uh, So he felt like he wanted to focus more on basketball and not dedicate himself in the summer to acting. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan Iverson and Stefan Marbury were uh, two people that the production was interested in getting, but neither wanted to audition, which was unacceptable to Spike Lee. Uh, So he approaches Ray Allen. Ray Allen's willing to audition. Uh, The rest is history. Apparently, Ray Allen took some acting classes before. I'll say he does a fine enough job as an NBA player trying to act. But to me, he's a gaping black hole in the middle of the movie. Like it, it leaves uh, Denzel as Jake with not much to play off of, which I'm assuming is why Mila Jovovich is in the movie. And, and we'll get to her later. But I just couldn't get over how weak the acting from Ray Allen was. Well, and that's the problem is I appreciate Spike Lee wanting to use an authentic basketball player to tell a story like, you know, that that definitely is is rooted in basketball. My problem is when you're going to put him up against Denzel Washington, I mean, he's destined to fail. Like, it doesn't matter if Ray Allen was a good actor. He's never going to get the chops. He doesn't have the experience of Denzel Washington. So it's like 
it's almost to that point, if you wanted Ray Allen to succeed in that role, you had to sacrifice Denzel and be like, I'm not going to use Denzel as as the father figure because Denzel just takes away, he he steals every scene that he's in and he steals the entire movie. Like the he is, oh my God, again, he's, he's fantastic in everything he does, but again, he he's so fucking good in this movie. He's not chewing scenery either. He is very understated almost the whole movie, and yet he's still captivating. Mm-hmm. But I guess my ultimate problem is I, they say comedy is the most difficult style of movie to make because humor is highly subjective. I would put sports movies right below that because it's difficult to depict an athlete on screen while still having him be a great actor because either the acting's going to be great and you can tell he's never shot a basketball in his life. Or, or the opposite, which is what this movie has. It's not like something like Days of Thunder where you can cast Tom Cruise as a race driver because he's just sitting in a seat delivering lines. So I'm fine with casting a real basketball player, but like you said, basketball is just a backdrop in this movie. How many real basketball scenes do we have in the movie? Three at the most, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of them. One, the, the the scene with him and his dad at the end of the movie, which is one of our five-point inspections we'll get to, that's a primary thing. Other than that... Yeah, I the think pickup I, game that I mentioned, that was mm-hmm. a big one. But I think those are really the only two true basketball scenes. So it's like, why yeah. do you need Ray Allen? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree to that point. I, like, I don't... I There isn't any like very compelling... Yeah, basketball play in the movie outside of those scenes, and and even to that, like, it's not like you have two. You would, I think, you would have needed two basketball players because then they would have actually again they wouldn't have been acting. You would have just filmed them playing one on one. Well, I believe Denzel Washington played college basketball, so he acquits himself pretty well in that scene. But I just imagine that there is a more or at least closer to perfect movie out there in an alternate universe where they decided to go with an actor that happened to play some basketball rather than a great basketball player who did his best to act. Yeah, I mean, if you want to try and do like a a weird reversal there, like, could you imagine if I'm not sure if you've seen Creed or not, but if they hadn't put Michael B. Jordan as a they had gotten a real boxer for that movie i'm like no that would have been cool like it's easier to make michael b jordan look like a real boxer than to make a real boxer look like an actor <laughs> so it yeah, is I one think, of the yeah, i think you nailed it there <laughs> so so yeah that's that's all i had about praise jesus i just think you can't talk about this movie without talking about ray allen's performance and i mean shockingly critics i respect loved him i mean roger ebert said he did a great job and i'm just like one of the few times I have to disagree with you, Raj. Rest in peace. I think it's one of those you, if you put on the perspective, like you're watching someone who has no acting chops act. Yeah, he does a, a pretty great job as someone you, as a professional athlete with no theater background. But to say that, you know, even in scenes with him, with Evelyn Longoria, not Evelyn Longoria, um, <laughs> sorry i don't know rosario, rosario dawson. dawson yeah rosario dawson like i don't know <laughs> rosario dawson um i mean she steals any scene that they're in together like it's just it's i mean he's kind of a mound of clay for people to act into as opposed to yeah him playing off of each other. because even the scene where it's um it the two of them on the bench talking about the abortion and all that and where you know that the everything's coming to light that you know 
she cheated on him and he, you know, he hasn't been faithful to her. And like, he's, you know, she knows he's going to wind up leaving her as soon as he leaves town and all that. Like she's much more compelling in that scene. And it's one of those things where at first I thought that they were going to portray Lala as just like a floozy who's trying to take advantage of him and all that. But then Jesus winds up being just as kind of like out there and does his own thing too. So I'm like, well, no one's really in the wrong here because you're both in the wrong, which again, I think was an interesting choice for the two characters because at that point, especially when they're on that bench, there's no one to choose sides with on that. And I don't know if that again was by intention or not, but I'm like, when they're fighting, like I don't have a side in the fight, but like, cause both of them are in the right and in the wrong with what they're, they're talking about and their justifications for their actions. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the shortest way to say it, everybody in this movie is to an extent, pretty self-interested, mm-hmm. especially around Jesus. Yep. Uh, but yeah, what, what uh, point did you want to hit next? Um, let's go ahead and transition that into one-on-one, because we, we talked quite a bit about Ray Allen as Jesus, um, and then you know let's talk about a little bit more about Denzel as Jake. Um, one-on-one, I just wanted, for starters, I don't say this as an insult. I knew this movie was going to end with the two of them having a one-on-one match to sign the paper, and to me, like... Some people be like, well, how, you know, I guess it's bad if you knew them. Like, no, that to me is a sign of good writing. Like that Spike Lee set that up earlier in the movie where I was like, oh, this is clearly where this is going is that the two of them will have to challenge one another for the signature. And like, I don't know who's going to wind up winning. I liked the outcome of it, which we'll get into. But um, it was one of those like I saw that coming from a mile away that 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 that's where we were going with this. But the the one on one scene toward, you know, in the third act towards the end of the movie, by far my favorite scene in the entire movie. Um, the way that it is shot, I think is just very intimate. Like, I think it's one of those easy, they did have one slow-mo scene and it was one of those things I was writing my notes literally like, Oh, I really like how intimate they didn't do any of those weird slow-mos. And as I did that, they did the slow-mo scene, but it was real quick. And then they didn't do, you know, Spike Lee didn't do it again, but like, it just felt like a real basketball match between these two people as they're competing. And like, you're seeing like basically the, the mirror and the translation from, you know, when Jake was was teaching Jesus earlier as a kid and watching like all the things he taught him on the court. And now he's an adult and he's being able to show his dad that he actually learned from him and stuff like that. And this is, you know, I wrote my notes. I'm like, you know, this is clearly like there's no way Jake thinks he's going to beat Jesus. This is his Hail Mary play that if he can play his son, that they will reconnect. And this is his, his last ditch effort to get him to sign that paper is if he can, if he can finally reconnect with them over this one-on-one game. Um, but I think the lighting was beautiful in that shot. Like it's not very busy. There's a real focus on the two of them. And it's just about those two basically coming together getting through their differences and then the way it ends is my favorite part of the whole scene because basically you know jake loses does the whole scene about like if you can't let go of that hate you're just gonna end up like me right like you're destined to follow the same footsteps as your father like you've got to like you got to let go of the hate you know for for what happened um but then after that i even thought that was great but it's the next scene that really gets me because it's it's Jesus. He's watching his dad get handcuffed and and he drives away in the scene. It starts with him centered in the scene and it Spike Lee takes the camera and he takes it, pans it back and raises it up above Ray Allen to make Ray Allen feel small. 
like he is now small in the world because of the events that are going around and every like as large as he is he's number one everybody wants him in this moment watching his dad be taken away after that one-on-one match like that is like he's no longer the largest thing in the world like he he you know the scene shows how small he feels in that moment and i just i thought i thought from beginning to end an absolutely fantastic you know uh scene yeah and i think that shot perfectly illustrates you know it hits home in reality i mean how many times in your life brett have you kind of held a grudge and been petty and there comes a certain point where you look around and you're like, what have, what have I really done? What have I really accomplished? And I think that was the moment for Jesus. His come to Jesus moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, a couple of listeners complimented you on your, uh, your working of over the top in last week. <laughs> I, I think they'll enjoy that particular moment as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have any takes on that scene. It's just, it was definitely one of those. I wanted to take some time to really just dive into, again, how, how well I think that the, the entire movie pays off in that moment. When we see the one-on-one game from beginning to end where he challenges his son, they make the wager, I think, which is funny because it's not that from my note or from my research, that's not how it was actually supposed to go down. It was supposed to be that Jesus. Oh, don't start with me on this, Brad. Jesus was supposed to beat him like zero to like just basically dominate him. Yeah, skunk him. He was supposed to skunk him, but I guess when they started filming it, like Denzel threw up a couple and like scored four points immediately, and then like I guess the 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 crew started cheering him on and stuff like that. Ray Allen got upset and then basically did like ten points in a row for to to you know soothe his ego and all that. And I guess Spike Lee took that and kind of re redid the scene which i think was way more successful had he just skunked him i don't think it would have been as strong i think the fact that there was a little bit of a back and forth and then ultimately jesus does kind of you know he doesn't get angry he gets past it and then then starts to dominate his dad i think it it makes the scene better the way that it actually got filmed yeah that's one of those things where I wish I had never heard the meta explanation because I don't believe it. If, if it's true, if that actually happened that way, it's only because Ray Allen was nervous and like, hey, I don't want to show up a bona fide movie star. So, you know, I'll let him get a shot off and all that. Because if Ray Allen was like, you know what, the script says I'm supposed to win. My job is to blank him. Denzel Washington wouldn't get a shot off. And and right. maybe that's just me being too close to basketball. But I much prefer the thought that that was just written that way. Because I, mm-hmm. I don't believe the anecdote. I just don't. Yeah. That's somebody's bogus factoid there. But um, Yeah. Somebody went on a podcast <laughs> years later and dropped that little tidbit. And now it's, it's made it into, you know, yeah. quote unquote, a fact. Um, but getting out of the meta and more into the movie, you mentioned how Jesus was eager to show like, hey, yeah, I did retain all the lessons you gave me and I'm going to show you. But there was a moment, too, where he's just putting his shoulder down and, and almost physically abusing Jake to get the basket. And he calls out like, yeah, you taught me this one. And I thought that played brilliantly to show that even at that moment, Jesus was far from over how his father treated him as a kid because he's like, hey, now I'm old, you know, I'm, I'm younger than you still, but I'm much stronger. I'm much bigger like you were with me. 
and I'm not going to show you any mercy. You hit me in the face with a basketball, I'm going to hit you with an elbow. Yeah. Absolutely. I so, yeah, I mean, it, it even plays more to that that cold reality after his father is is put in cuffs and leaves. Like, I, that juxtaposition, juxtaposition of emotion from Jesus. Like, I'm still vengeful. I'm still going to physically hit you with my elbow. And 20 minutes later, I'm going to realize... What have I done? That was a waste. All this hatred has been a waste. Mm-hmm. Which I'll even take this back. All of his hatred, because I wanted to bring this up, and this is another one of those. I didn't know where to, to fit this in. The movie starts off and basically, like, it alludes. We know that Jake is in prison. When he talks to his daughter, she's, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, it happened the way they said it. Or he, you did the things that they said you did and all that. Like, oh, man, like you assume it's going to be some kind of murder charge and then like okay, it's going to have something to do with the mom and i was like maybe like he winds up accidentally shooting her in some kind of gang related thing or like home defense situation and then i believe it is in this scene the one or right before it, or right around this time that is revealed what actually happened i think it's before this the, the one-on-one scene yeah it's well before I cannot believe that that was a murder charge. And I don't know. That, to me, was the moment in the movie where my suspension of disbelief... I don't think it was a murder charge. I Well, they keep calling him a murderer throughout the movie. And even then... Eh, I mean, that's semantics. I mean, you call somebody's death directly. I mean, technically, you're a murderer. Yeah, I guess. It's just one of those things where, like, I look at it and, like, I know, like, Jesus hates his dad and all that, but, like... I understand because Jake was responsible for her death and all that. But like, I don't know, I guess throughout the movie, I just kept thinking that it was going to be something much more egregious than what happened. Then it was basically in the heat of the moment, he pushed her away in that classic movie. Let's hit the counter of the table and it's going to kill me situation. Um, and that's what winds up happening. I'm like, when that reveal happened, it kind of took me a little bit out of it. Cause I'm like, I was expecting something so much worse with the level of hate and again i understand he took jesus's mother they had to live with the uncle he wound up going to prison like the event the the level of events that that transpired because of that moment i just i don't know it was just so we i just expected more i guess from what actually happened it's interesting you say that because one of my notes is they don't number one they don't do enough to make jake look like a bad father to me Mm -hmm. like he he pushes jesus hard they're out there training all night but the only time it ever seems really abusive and and we see jake drinking is this is the night that the mother dies it's literally Mm -hmm. right before they go upstairs after jesus throws the ball over the wall so Jesus's level of hatred just seems a little bit weird because I don't think it's depicted enough. And that's fine. If, if I love my mother and my father kills her, no matter the circumstances, I might not be able to get over that. But then by the end of the movie, Jesus is just it seems fully over it. Mm-hmm. So it seems like emotional whiplash a couple of times because I don't buy Jake as evil. I don't understand why Jesus hates him to this degree. And then I don't understand why Jesus forgives him, even if that scene with Jake getting handcuffed is powerful. So I, I mm-hmm. think I'm kind of in lockstep with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of those because you see Jake take care of 
Um, I do not remember Dakota, the prostitute's name. Yeah, Dakota. 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 He takes. Yeah, when he's taking care of Dakota again, he seems compassionate. He always seemed like a loving husband. Like he was tough on Jesus, but even the night when everything goes down, it's not like he was like abusive and beating it. You know, the absolute hell out of him or anything like that. It's one of those like I told you. Like I hate to say, but it's one of those. I don't know if it's the generation I grew up in or in, in that kind of perspective I'm getting, but it's one of those like, hey, you know, that was a father, I think, during that time where it's like, if I tell you to sit down at the table, you sit down at the table. And if you get up and disobey me, like I'm going I'm going to get in your face. I'm going to show you that I'm a, a, a powerful force to be reckoned with, not in the sense that I'm going to beat the hell out of you, but I'm going to stop you. I'm going to pin you up like you're not going to just walk yeah, away from me. There's going to be me. some level of physical domination. Exactly. Not, not necessarily a beat down, but yes, to your point, some some level of physical domination. Um but yeah, not saying it's good or bad, but I guess it's when I'm watching that, I'm like, that's the scene where we see that. The only scene where we really see that, and it is one of those where I'm like, I don't know. I Again, I, I I have a hard time siding with Jesus in his level of hatred, you know, because even after Jake kills his wife on accident, like, I almost feel worse for Jake in that moment because I'm like, it's clearly in the heat of the moment. He didn't mean to do that. He clearly loved her, and, like, now he's responsible for her death. Like, to me... Jake is the one I felt the worst for the entire movie, even though a lot of what happened was because he lost his temper, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think even if a small part of it, I think Ray Allen's lack of acting chops contributes to why you feel that way or, or why I feel that way as well, because Denzel can come off as so empathetic and three-dimensional. And I mean, Ray Allen is known because he's a great basketball player. So it's kind of one dimensional anger. And at a certain point, you just don't understand on a human level, why he's that against his father, even after all these years. Well, yeah. Cause that, and you have to in, assume that he instilled other values into Jesus because Jesus is constantly like, Oh no, that's illegal. I can't do that. Like you're, you're going to cost me this or like, I shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, that's another side of the relationship you don't really get to see is where like the other like values that Jake instilled, like, Hey, always like, you know, do the right thing, you know, another Spike Lee movie. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and just and, him stepping up to take care of his sister, Mary. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has to be partially due to how he was raised. I know his mother was great, but that's gotta be partly his father too. Yeah. But I mean, I guess a lot of let's use that as a transition into into fast break, because um, I think a lot of what we're talking about now actually goes into that. And, and I think I believe you said this was a little bit about like the, the pace of the overall pace of the movie. Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem with this movie and maybe I'm viewing it through a 2021 lens are you familiar? I'll, I'll get a little off track, but it, it'll it'll come back. Name, image, and likeness in college sports. Are you familiar with that at all? That was a lot with like the video games and stuff like that, where like they weren't making money off of their likeness. Yeah, basically, up until the last twelve months, college athletes could not profit off of their image, their name, their likeness, not whatsoever. I mean, Travis, they were why, getting an ac- athletic scholarship. What more could they want? Oh, true. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> universities are making 
billions off their back. But, you know, hey, you got a free education and, and three squares a day. Calm down. Um, but in the light of today, when we know finally, finally, somebody has come to their senses in the government, because I think that's where it started, like a, a Senate deal, but these kids should be able to profit off their image. So the dramatic thrust of this movie, a lot of it is, hey, people are throwing all these things at Jesus and, you know, can he resist the temptation? In my opinion, fuck that. You should not resist the temptation. Take take all the money they'll give you. You know, if you're not in a committed relationship, fuck all the girls they send to you. Profit off your name, image, and your work as much as possible. There's no other industry in the world. I mean, in your profession, Brett, if your work was leading to $50 million in profit per year, and they were like, hey, we're going to give you 60 grand a year. I think you'd be crazy to take it, and nobody would object to you fighting against it. But for some reason at this time, in 98, oh, no, don't take the gym bag full of cash. And so if you're watching the movie and you don't have a problem with Jesus taking anything— like you said, you're just waiting for them to play at the end of the movie. Everything else is kind of just filler to get there, including I, I don't know how you feel about it. I thought the prostitute storyline was just a waste of screen time. So I'll, I'll open it up to you there. But that was my general thought about Fast Break. Yeah, I, and I think the Dakota line was just to show compassion that, you know, which I don't necessarily necessarily know if it needed to be there to the extent that they took the Dakota storyline, but especially to the point where they gave her, what, 15 seconds at the end of the movie to show that she got out of that life and was going back to her small town home because she's on the on the bus. So she leaves right. uh, the, the big city and all that. But it's one of those, like that was that was a lot of filler that I didn't think needed to be there. All of the the temptation stuff, to your point, that was all to me again to show some of the value that that Jesus had gotten from Jake. But again, there was no, there was no spark or there was no start point for you to get that. You just, I think that was a, a line that you know it, it was left to the audience to make that that jump. That that's what that had to be. And even at that point, you know, what was the the ramifications of him taking any of that stuff, right? He constantly said it was illegal and all that stuff, but nothing ever said that, not oh, illegal. if he takes it's, it... It's not illegal. Uh, it's against NCAA rules. Well, but he kept saying illegal. In the movie, he keeps talking about it being illegal. So it was one of those, like, I'm you're going to cost me my future. I won't be able to play ball. Even though, again, that that's a weird thing because it's like, I won't be able to go to college to play ball, but you've already got an agent that wants to take you straight to the to the pros, right? So it's like, okay, if you took that money, like... And I, I don't know, there wasn't enough emphasis on him needing the education. Like, you know, I'm sure we'll bring it up in the rap, but like with King Richard, like that was a big part that they said, you know, like the girls have to have an education in case this all falls through. That part was missing in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it was clear that he was a surefire, you know, first round draft pick at the at the probably the bottom end. So it's like when his coach is waving 10 grand in his face and he doesn't want to take it, I'm like, why not? And 
again, if you don't find that storyline compelling, because ultimately I know that you can't just make a two-hour movie with Jake trying to convince Jesus to go to a big state. I mean, you're going to have him stalking him all over Coney Island. You can't do that. I know you need to put more in here, but everything felt very scattershot and just Spike Lee wanting to be like, hey, aren't college athletics crazy? I'm like, yeah, I know they are. And, and maybe for an audience that is not as in tune with college sports as I am, some of that stuff is eye-opening, but I'm just watching it being like, no shit. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. With that said, uh, I think we have two more points here. I'll jump into uh, See the Light, and then I think we'll we'll end it with Over the Wall. So See the Light, uh, that was just... I, again, wanted to talk a little bit more about Spike Lee and kind of his his style. Uh, I've only seen a few of his movies, but I feel like he has a very distinct color palette. Like, it's almost a, a slight oversaturation, at least in his earlier work. Uh, you know, I think what is it inside man, I think is a little bit more muted and all that, but a lot of his earlier work, it, it's o almost a little oversaturated. Yeah. Do the right thing. And Crooklyn come to mind. Yeah. And, uh, he uses a lot of dramatic lighting, like, especially in this movie, like I'm thinking like the coach's office with the, you know, the light coming in from, from the, the ceiling and all that, and, you know, the coach and, and Jesus are sitting in the light, you know, with the, the rest of the office being dimmed. And then, you know, when Jake picks up Dakota, like they're they're having drinks over a red light, which I assume has to be kind of tongue in cheek because he's hiring a prostitute with taxpayer money, which I thought was, you know, that's a power move. <laughs> um, the green. I didn't necessarily understand the green light during the the Lala fight when they're there. I really liked the frame of the shot with the the big wheel in the background, especially because like we've established that that's kind of their place. That's their thing. So having that behind them, I thought was really cool. The way that shot was framed. I didn't like that shot was really weird as the two of them start to fight and bicker. Like, I don't know why he does it, but like Spike Lee would like put the camera on Jesus and then he would slowly pan it over to Lala when she's talking. I, I think it was supposed to be instead of doing jump shots between the two of them talking, it was supposed to be like, oh, look at the perspective of them talking back and forth. But it started to make me feel sick towards the end of that scene where I was just like, just put the camera still. Like, I can't kind of really deal with this. But that whole scene, like, um, they're, the, they're front lit by a green light. And I was like, I don't know if this is supposed to be about envy or money, you know, because Jesus is a cash cow because it's about, you know, how everybody wants a piece of Jesus and everybody, you know, his, everybody wants, you know, him to take them somewhere. Like, I think he's talking about that recently, you know, Uncle Uncle Bubba had been there. Um, the flashback with during that scene, the flashback about the pregnancy and the abortion, like very oversaturated, overexposed scenes. So like when you had flashbacks, the lighting changes dramatically. But I just think it's very interesting the way that that Spike Lee, he has a very unique style to me. At least again, his earlier work definitely had a very unique color palette and then his usage of light. Oh, yeah, he uh Again, I'm not in tune with this as much as you. This is very much your kind of category, but he always does something interesting, you know, with the frame. I'm thinking about uh, the scene after we find out what happened to Jesus's mother, Jake's wife. It has like a 
a drone or helicopter shot of Coney Island, but the film is very, I don't even know how to describe it. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like jumpy and jittery and again, oversaturated. And then I really loved when Jake is walking with Jesus down the boardwalk and he's telling Jesus the real origin of his name is not Jesus Christ. It's Mm -hmm. Earl Monroe, Jesus of North Philadelphia. And then the the Copeland score comes in there and helps. But then when we're just intercutting scenes, real scenes of Earl Monroe playing basketball, basically as Jake's describing, it makes a walk and talk so much more dynamic. Mm -hmm. And and I really enjoy that. That's my favorite scene of the movie. And he's got the, the stuffed animals that he gives to Jesus and says, give them to Mary. And then Jesus gives the stuffed animals to the first kid that he sees it. it that tells so much with just a walk and talk scene. Mm-hmm. I, and you almost feel, I know, sorry, I didn't mean to keep going no, here, but the whole Earl Monroe, you know, he went to the Knicks and they put him in shackles one of my big beefs about this movie is we don't find enough about Jake because Jake clearly wants to live vicariously through Jesus. He kind of admits that in the closing letter, but we don't know anything about Jake's young life, his young basketball career. So maybe I'm really stretching, but it almost feels like by talking about Earl Monroe and him not being able to play the style he wanted to play and what made him great, I wonder if Jake is talking about himself in some way, mm-hmm. which is why he's so motivated to make Jesus the best basketball player in America. I don't, I don't know if you read that at all or, or what you think. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think there's a, a certain level of him because there's the, the throwaway line at some point towards the beginning of the movie, like, oh, your dad was a pretty good ball player, fancied himself a ball player, too. Where it is that, you know, trying to live vicariously through or, you know, I couldn't succeed, so I'm going to, you know, hell or high water, I'm going to make sure you do succeed. And, like, essentially forcing their passion and desire onto their kid because they couldn't make it. So I I definitely saw that throughout the movie. Yeah, and I mean, I just... I like the way that the real basketball footage was intercut. That could go wrong, but I think he... He played that perfectly here with the Earl Monroe footage. Well, what I loved about it, too, is it gave perspective to somebody who's not a sports, like, aficionado like you. Like, I don't know who that person was, and having those shots put in there gave me a perspective that only helped strengthen that scene because it gave me a foundation to build off of. So I understood what he was talking about, as opposed to I just had to kind of take it at face value. Instead of it being the tip of the iceberg, I got to go a little bit underwater and like, okay, I understand like this this is actually a real person and that, you know, the impact that they actually had because I'm getting to see real footage of them. Interesting. You know, I was very curious going into this podcast, would this movie be greater or lesser for you since you're not a, a basketball nut like me? And it sounds like it was almost a benefit to you coming in, not as much of a basketball head. Yeah. Cause I mean, I went into that because, and maybe that's our perspective is like, again, mine was like, I kind of thought basketball was the back and that's because I didn't have enough knowledge about that sport and, you know, the history and players and all that for that to be a focus for me. So it did kind of fade into the background. Whereas because you do have all of that knowledge, it was able to stay more in the forefront where it, you know, it sounds like to me, 
talking with you, you do see this as more of a basketball movie than I saw it. I saw it as a family drama with basketball kind of shoehorned into the background, whereas you're like, no, this is a basketball family drama movie, you know? Well, it's tough for me to say that because, again, not to bring up other podcasts we've done, but you brought up The Shining and, you know, is there a more iconic carpet in a movie? There's no more iconic pair of basketball shoes than the ones that Jake wears, you know, especially with the the ankle monitor scene. Air Jordan 13s, they're literally referred to as the He Got Games at this point. So <laughs> this movie, to me, has become much more of pop culture, bas- basketball lexicon than just purely a movie. So I'm glad that you could talk about and appreciate it that way as just a pure cinematic experience because I'm too diluted by what this movie means in the basketball community. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, let's get into our last point of inspection here, Over the Wall. I want to talk about the end of the movie because I... Th- <laughs> First off, I want to... Okay, and in a, a joking side, do you think it was weird at the end that the out of bounds line for the prison was directly behind the basketball court? Like someone's gonna throw and miss the basket, and the ball's gonna go there. Like I just thought like, when I first saw out of bounds, I thought they were just being tongue in cheek, like haha, this is out of bounds for like a basketball court. But then like when he steps there and the guy's gonna snipe, I'm like, oh no, this is out of bounds for the prison. I'm like, why would they put a basketball court right here? Like clearly the ball is gonna go into that zone. Are people just not allowed to get it? Like is that? <laughs> but um, at the end of the movie. Did you think it was weird, the sudden inclusion of magic? (laughs) It depends on whether you're asking the teenage me that watched this movie or the, the Hollywood chop shop cinema mechanic that watched it a couple nights ago. Uh, Cause as a kid, I was like, what the fuck is this? How's the fucking ball in this arena now? (laughs) Um, I guess that's, I just think it's so weird that at no point in this movie did we kind of introduce any kind of level of, and I know this is going to sound weird, any level of magic or anything like that. And then at the very end, he throws the ball and suddenly the ball appears. At a certain point, I was expecting it to be like, oh, Jake got killed and this is like his dying, like his lights to heaven are him, is him seeing his son pick up the ball. And being like him passing his legacy on to his son or like his positive legacy, like the whole thing about like this is another man's property and he's passing that on on to on to Jesus. But then he walks off the court and doesn't die. And I'm like, this is just weird. I don't understand what happened here. Yeah, it's clearly a metaphor to me, and I guess yeah, it's. I still don't like the way that it's done. I, I love Jake throwing the ball over the wall. And I'm even fine with Jesus somehow subliminally feeling that. And maybe mm-hmm. he just gives a smile. But to the degree that he goes over and picks up the basketball that fell out of the rafters, it hurts the moment. I, I, I think I know what he's going for. Spike Lee, that is the execution could have been a little bit different for my taste. Like metaphorically, what do you think that scene is saying? Do you think it's just, Hey, I'm passing my legacy on to you. 
I I do because the ball ends up in the in in the the stadium with Jesus. At first, I thought it was just a final act of like Jake saying like this is after the point where at the beginning because I knew this is I hate to say it, as soon as because I knew this was a Spike Lee movie I knew he was gonna get fucked over at the beginning of the movie um, with with the warden and all that like you got the the pot you know the asshole white warden and the white governor and i'm like it i already knew where that was going that they were going to take advantage of of jake i did think that scene was interesting though just a, a little get off a side note here though <laughs> and maybe i just saw into this and i wasn't supposed to but the first time that jake meets the warden and he walks in so it looks like a very nice warden's office right and you, you know, like everything's set up and all that and Jake sits down, and I think it's interesting because whenever you're talking to the warden, the backdrop or the background is, it looks like a nice office for the warden and all that. And then when the scene cuts and it's Jake talking, it's there's pipes and it's very drab and it is a reminder that this is a prison. So to me, I wasn't sure, again, if that was intentional or not, that when the warden is talking, it's supposed to be, again, it almost looks like a Norman Rockwell, could have been a Norman Rockwell, probably like this, you know, warden and all the, the warmth and everything behind him and all that in this white space. And then when Jake is talking, they it, there's a point that it is, no, you, we are reminded that Jake is a prisoner in a prison, that the, in even this office, like how, how drastically it is split depending on who is talking. Um, I, did you notice that at all, or does that make any sense, or am I just looking and or seeing things that aren't there? It makes a lot of sense. But what I really want to talk about, because you hit on it a second ago, they do screw Jake over, right? Because they they leak that article about him escaping prison. When they read that article, I going knew. Going back on their word, right? Yeah, as soon as – because they read the article before he says, like, well, technically you didn't get him to write or sign the letter of intent. And I'm like, as soon as they read the article, I'm like, oh, they, they did him dirty. Like, you can't lessen his sentence if you're going to sit there and say he – escaped and there was a manhunt so it's like you immediately know that they did him dirty there and it's just one of those like yeah i know that the movie was not about him getting out of prison like if if that's what you thought the movie was about that it, it's very surface level like oh this is just jake trying to get out of prison the movie was about jake reconnecting with his son and his son being able to move on past the hatred and resentment he had for what happened to his mother. So again, then and that why goes goes back to why I love that one on one scene is because that to me is that's where the movie really ties itself up because that's where they are able to to come back together. So I again in saying that I realized that that the movie was not about Jake getting out of prison. It was about the relationship between those those two men. Um, I still thought it was very dirty how they decided to end the movie with jake winding up getting fucked over by the system even though he did what was asked and you know he did it his way you know so he did do the earl what was the, the basketball player's names are earl earl monroe earl monroe uh playground jesus he um he did he did it his way essentially because he didn't have him sign the paper I assume that Jake kind of knew he wasn't going to sign the paper again when I talked about that Hail Mary. So Jake did it his way, like his hero, uh, and then ultimately wound up getting fucked. And I guess, again, the metaphor, the, the simile works because he wound up like being shackled, much like he said Earl. Like he, he wasn't able to do it the way he wanted it, and therefore, you know, they, they kind of fucked him over at the, the later part of the movie. 
Yeah, I, I hate the way this movie ends because I feel like Spike Lee wants to have his cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, Jake ultimately gets fucked over by the system. But then we also have the scene of the basketball, which I interpreted as, hey, the last time we saw a basketball go over the wall, it's when Jesus was done with his father. Even before his mother was killed, mm-hmm. he was like, I'm, I'm not trying to chase your dream anymore. And then the next time we see the ball, it, it's it's Jake throwing it over, which is almost like a, hey, let's let's mend fences here let's build this bridge back and both parties are willing to do it so it's like it's this mix of a happy ending and a a depressing you'll never escape the system ending to Mm -hmm. me you have to pick one or the other because it's just a it's just a muddled mess of emotion at the end of the movie i and i wholeheartedly agree that that was my my bigger gripe with to your point have your cake and eat it too it's like Okay, yes, they reconnected and all that, but Jake still winds up in in prison even though he technically did nothing wrong. The only thing he did wrong, which was one of my favorite scenes of the movie, is when he beats the shit out of uh, DeAndre. Fuck, when he throat jabs DeAndre and then just fucking decks him, I'm like, oh, I, again, fucking love Denzel. Uh, Jake's awesome. Jake's, like, Jake was nonviolent until someone decided to get in his face. And then Jake was the first to be like, we're, we're not going down this path. <laughs> like yeah. I'll put Son, you down. You go get, get back in your Range Rover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can't breathe now. <laughs> Fuck it. Love and even that. then you can tell he's not inherently a violent man. Cause after he knocks him out, he's like, I shouldn't have done that. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Mm hmm. But yeah, and, and the last thing I'll say about the ending, and again, this is just me being too meta into the basketball universe. If I'm Jesus Shuttlesworth and you're like, oh, you're not going to let my dad out? You know, guess I'll transfer or guess I'll sit out a year and go to the NBA. Like, I feel like Jesus still has the leverage at that point. Yeah, and all I can think of is then it was, you know, passing lines and, and not going into details is like they never admit like oh if he goes there the you know the governor will pull some strings and get you out it's you know he'll be able to reduce your sentence so then it's a matter of and it's like well you know some things happened that didn't happen the way we wanted them to so like you know it's not one of those you know they leave again that's another one of those not completely committed it's not that the 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 warden and the the governor they're they're not saying that they can't get you out early it's just like we can't give you a firm date of when if anything's gonna happen so it's like again this weird limbo state where it's like you know okay for a raise at your job like yeah you know we'll run it up the chain yeah well we'll see what we can do here and it's like okay so but yeah it's just i i do wish what i was hoping was at the point that he's playing or something like that, maybe it's like you find out it's a fast forward and it's like his senior year at big state and the basketball was actually his dad who threw it or something like that. And he got out like to me, that would have been the best version of that ending It's like, Oh, you don't realize that. Yes. Jake throwing the ball over is present time, but Jesus playing in the, the stadium is four years into the future where he's completing his college career, you know? Yeah, I just ultimately make it a depressing or a happy ending. I, I don't appreciate the, 
the middle of the road bullshit that this movie pulls. Yep. Alrighty, well, let's see if we can do a better job when we decide to chop this motherfucker up. So, Travis, let's get it. Are you ready to do some choppy chop? Oh, you're goddamn right. So this week in Chop Shop, I pulled Blockbuster. You pulled, I believe, what did you? Comedy. Comedy. I was like, it wasn't Oscar bait because I think we considered this one Oscar bait. So <laughs> you got comedy. Where do you want to start? Uh, I think I'll go ahead and lead it off if that's okay. Absolutely, sir. Let's hear it. So as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is going to be the same movie primarily mostly that he got game is, but we're going to kind of get a few more scenes with uncle Bubba, see what he's been up to. I assumed you were going to interject some Gallagher into it, but I I think Bubba works. (laughs) All right. So much like you did at one point with a comedy, I've got more of a loose collection of scenes and then an ending to the movie. Okay. So the first scene I'm going to envision involving Uncle Bubba, we're going to open up with Jesus in his living room autographing photos. His Uncle Bubba and a respectable-looking white man in khakis, a polo, and a lab coat. Yeah, they're standing on the other side of the coffee table. Did you say a lab coat? Um, A lab coat, yes. Okay, okay. (laughs) Uncle Bubba speaks, and he says, Jesus, I can't tell you how grateful Dr. Miller is for all of this. Bubba then nudges the doctor. The doctor speaks and says, Yeah, Jesus, the kids at the hospital, they're big fans of yours. This will be huge for them. Oh, of course, Doc. I'm I'm happy to do it. When spring break hits, I'll uh, be sure to stop by and visit. Dr. Miller looks nervously at Bubba, and Bubba interjects. Now, Jesus, I told you, you don't have time to do all that. This is a good way to give back and still enjoy being a kid yourself. I I think that's enough for today. Doc, you want to help me take the stuff over to the hospital? Uncle Bubba hastily grabs the photos and puts them in a box with other signed memorabilia. And Bubba and Dr. Miller leave the apartment, and we cut to them exiting to the street. Dr. Miller takes off his lab coat to reveal he's wearing a polo for the local cable company and is driving the cable company-branded car. (laughs) He tosses his lab coat into the back seat, and Bubba says, Great day today, Mitch. As promised, here are a few signed picks. The cable salesperson takes the photo hesitantly and replies... Come on, Bubba, can you cut me uh, a break? Maybe give me one of the signed mini basketballs? I'm, I'm taking a big chance by impersonating a doctor. And Bubba responds, hey, now, don't get greedy. I'm letting you get your beak wet, okay? But he ain't your son. I mean, well, Bubba, he's not yours either. Uh, Bubba begrudgingly tosses the man a mini basketball and walks to his beat-up car. 
so that's the end of the, the first scene. Okay. Uh, we're going to follow Bubba as he drives around town. And uh, he's going to pull into a golden corral. He grabs a signed jersey from the box and enters the restaurant. Uh, we'll cut to the cashier station where Bubba asks to speak to a manager with a big smile. Cut to Bubba sitting across from the Golden Corral manager in the back office, much like the warden's office. And uh, Bubba, he attempts to negotiate. Now, Mr. Monroe, you're aware of my nephew, Jesus. This time next year, he'll be a nationally known brand. Imagine, as soon as Jesus graduates next month, he's here doing a meet and greet with all your paying customers. What kind of business would that drive? And, and how good would this autographed jersey look in the dining room? I'm intrigued, Bubba. What are your terms? And we're going to smash cut to Bubba flashing a Golden Corral VIP card. <laughs> and then with him a, uh, with a buffet plate piled high. And after this, we'll intersperse some of the Jesus and Jake scenes because ultimately this is the same movie. Then we're going to cut to Bubba outside a grocery store arguing with some Girl Scouts selling cookies. Now, now, girls, this is the best high school player since Moses Malone. This autograph is worth at least another two boxes of Thin Mints. And uh, yeah, give me the tag-alongs. Don't, don't, don't cheat me now. And uh, we're going to cut now to Booger and Jesus. Booger is helping Jesus pack for his college visit before Jesus leaves for the weekend. Booger arrives back home and finds Uncle Bubba sitting at a desk with a brand new PC hooked up. Hey, Booger son, you're just in time. Booger asks about the computer and Bubba assures him he worked out a deal with Best Buy, uh, which causes Booger to roll his eyes. So, Dad, what are you actually doing with it, though? Well, your cousin Jesus has an AOL chat session in 10 minutes. <laughs> I got a check in the mail for an appearance fee last week. Uh, but, Dad, Jesus is literally headed to the airport. I just helped him pack. He can't do a chat. Bubba explains to his son that it doesn't matter who's actually doing the chat. He tells Booger that, hey, you're the same age as Jesus. Just fake it and, and use nothing but platitudes. Cut to Booger at the computer with Bubba hovering over his shoulder. Now, as you recall, Brett, a little aside, Booger seemed to have a learning disability in the movie. Would you agree? A little bit, yeah. So uh, definitely reading. <laughs> yeah, so Booger's at the keyboard. And uh, this is Uncle Bubba over his shoulder. That's not how you spell it. You're going to make Jesus look stupid. Uh, Bubba tries to scoot in with Booger shooing him away. Uh, a person in the chat room then asks who Jesus' favorite high school teammate is, and, and Booger reads aloud uh, as he types his answer. Uh, for me, it would have to be... Booger, uh, the way he runs the point guard spot, and Bubba again interjects. What the hell are you doing? You know damn well you're the fifth best starter. Jesus would never say you. Give, give me the keyboard. As the two struggle over the keyboard, Aunt Sally accidentally disconnects the internet by picking up the landline. A frustrated... 
Uncle Bubba says to Booger, Booger, go down to the bank and cash this check now, please. <laughs> As he glares at Aunt Sally. Uh, so that's going to end that scene, and we're going to intercut with Jesus at his college recruiting trip. And uh, we're going to fast forward all the way to the point where it's implied that Jake is, is going to get screwed over. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus shows up to the governor's mansion to try to kind of plead his case that, you know, hey, I signed. It wasn't the way that you wanted, but I did sign. And uh, Jesus says, Governor, sir, playing college basketball has long been a dream of mine. But if I could have one thing in the world, it would be to bring my mother, Martha, back. But I know that's impossible. But, sir, you can give me my father back. You have that power. Please, sir. As Jesus is making his impassioned plea, the governor is not even looking at Jesus. He's got his office chair turned looking out the window. And once Jesus finishes, the governor finally turns around. He looks at Jesus for several seconds before saying, Martha. Why did you say that name? <laughs> and then we're going to smash cut to Jake Shuttlesworth walking out of the front door of the prison. Jesus and Uncle Bubba are waiting by the Lexus. Jesus passes a basketball to his father who catches it and smiles. And we roll credits. Uh, I was not expecting a Batman versus Superman joke in here. <laughs> so thank you for that. You know, I struggle with the endings, and then I realized that the, the name was Martha on the mom. So I was like, oh, there's there's my crutch. <laughs> Fantastic, sir. I, uh, like I, said, I wasn't sure where you were going with that one. I wasn't sure if there was going to be a Jesus Saves joke in there, if he was going to be looking out the window and there's Uncle Bubba doing something fucking weird on the front lawn. But I really like that you just <laughs> went with the Batman for Superman joke. <laughs> My more realistic idea that I didn't want to flesh out was that Uncle Bubba and the community that he, you know, is kind of taken advantage of, they somehow rally to get some dirt on the governor that gets Jesus or that gets Jake released. But I was like, I, I don't want to spend another hour trying to flesh out the end of this this chop shop. So I feel I, like I went it. with the uh, the low hanging fruit of Martha. I feel like you could almost do like a about a house situation where the governor was actually found in the like with Dakota or something like that. And that's what gets it like. That's the the, the blackmail they need over the governor beyond the fact that Jesus is willing to, to leave. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I actually was thinking about, you know, Maybe the governor's in Atlantic City, which is near Coney Island, and gets filmed with a prostitute, which, again, would make perfect sense to be Dakota. So, yeah, if we're realistically making this shop shop, that would probably be the way to go. But mm. uh, I, I just, again, I couldn't resist the, the Batman joke. As you shouldn't have. That was fantastic. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Uh, now, you you said you had Blockbuster this week? I, ha I had Blockbuster. And I was, I kind of struggled with this, Travis, because I was thinking, what would I do to make this a blockbuster? So I took a step back. Yeah, and I, you can't have them play aliens because I've already done that. I mean, you're not wrong and you're not right either. 
So I decided <laughs> that what is what are blockbusters right now? And it's basically Avengers, Star Wars type movies. So I took those as my my base for like a, a new space opera with a, a dashing of sky high. Not sure if you've seen that family flick or not. Uh, have you? I have not had the pleasure. It's actually not bad if it's as how I remember it, which was several years ago. But all right. So the movie, I'm thinking it opens up with an instrumental, much like our current movie, right? Um, but it's going to be with superhumans performing just like amazing tasks. So it's just a montage of people being saved and like, you know, dams being frozen over so they don't flood. And like, again, just all of this really feel good. Like, oh, my God, look at all of these metahumans and their superpowers and how they're they're you know, saving us. Also, I want some of the things to feel very uh, otherworldly. I'm thinking like uh, Execute Order 66 and Revenge of the Sith, where we're watching all the Jedi die on different planets, and you can clearly tell like it's all these different environments. So kind of like that was the scene I'm thinking of in the beginning. Not the Jedi dying, but the different planets, right? Um, so we established that there's a, a League of Heroes can be seen, like, you know, diverting all these crises and all that, and... Uh, the, the opening sequence ends and we find Jesus Shuttleworth walking down the highway in like a pre-academy on Earth, right? With his friends. Pre-academy being like what a high school. What pre It gets better, all right? So he's walking down the halls of his like pre-academy, right? So as a group, we're discussing what like superhero league he's going to join. Like if he's going to go off world onto another planet and join another league. Because now we have like lots of Avengers, right? How we have to one up everything. So it's all team. All these planets have their own teams of heroes and shit like that. Um, or, you know, would, would Jesus decide to stay down on Earth, right? And as he's walking through this academy and all that, we're seeing that Earth is kind of worn down. Like it's it's suffered some wars and environmental crises and stuff like that so people are kind of living in domes and stuff like that with cities just kind of being kind of like destroyed almost think of uh like a, a dread i don't know if you saw dread um hell but, yes so uh you know some of his friends in the group are there they're joking about you know uh if he's gonna leave his family behind or if he's gonna take them with him and he's like of course i'm gonna take mary with me i'm not gonna leave her and somebody says like well what about your dad he's still here and Jesus basically just replies with, like, what father? What dad? I don't know. Who you, what are you talking about? So we establish not a good relationship here. So we're going to do a hard cut to a bleak high-tech prison for superhumans. Jake Shuttlesworth can be forming a ball of energy, right, in his hands. And he's throwing this ball of energy uh, up at a hoop. And when the ball goes into it, it basically dissipates the energy and the energy disappears, right? And there's a guard there and informs jake that the warden wants to see him and uh they start to gather him up this is why he's always on the court by himself because i thought that was weird that he would just always for some reason get court time by himself but um jake is in there by himself uh some some guards walk up and they shackle him with uh some inhibitors right so that he can't use his his superhuman powers so they walk him to the warden and the warden much like this movie is going to inform jake of the newly appointed of a newly appointed galactic senator who has taken a strong lightning liking for Jesus. And you know, same thing, a matter of like his home planet needs a new hero. He would love it uh if Jesus was going to decide to go to, you know, uh, a hero league on that planet. And essentially if he can convince Jesus 
to go to his planet. This politician knows some Earth politicians. He's going to pull some strings. He's going to get Jake's uh, sentence reduced. Jake, does. he thinks it's all bullshit, right? But he also knows that this could get him several days outside of this high-tech prison. So he's like, he's got nothing to lose, right? If he can't convince his son, he just goes back to prison. So Jake is reluctant to accept, but he's got no better options. So he goes ahead and takes the the opportunity. They go through the whole escape route, um, and he winds up on the other side. So the flame the the film's gonna play out uh, at this point a lot like what happened. Um, Jake is gonna meet two superhuman specialists, which are basically gonna be your cops. They're gonna put the prohibitor prohibitor brackets back on his wrists so that he can't use his powers at all. Um, and basically they also inform him that these, these cufflings have uh, a tracking. So it doesn't matter how far he goes across the galaxy, they'll be able to find him. So don't try any funny business, right? So Jake's first stop after he gets out is to find his daughter again, who is enrolled in one of Earth's technical schools. And I'm doing some world building here. Uh, while he's talking to his daughter, it's established that Mary is very, very smart and will probably be placed on like an engineering track, to, uh, you know, um, but she's never gained any superhuman powers from her father or anything like that. Um, they wind up back at the dorm where Jesus and Mary live. And this is where they have a, a nice conversation between the two of them. And it's alluded that uh, Jesus's mom, uh, Martha, also did. And Mary's mom did not have superhuman abilities either. That, you know, just Jake and her loved each other. Um, and that there was a, an accident and that Mary still does not blame her father for it. So we're still going to go down that same path. Like, okay, Jake was clearly involved with something. You know, Mary doesn't hold it against him, but Jesus has some level of, of hatred towards his father for it. So Jesus throws up. He's going to throw Jake out. He's going to claim that he never wants to see Jake uh, and that he doesn't remember who his father is. Again, he doesn't even care about him that much. So after Jake leaves, Jesus and Mary... They're going to go back to their uncle, Uncle Bubba, because you got to put him back in the movie, right? He's he's a he's great comic relief. Um, and it's very going to become very clear that Uncle Bubba is just interested in using Jesus's superhuman powers to get off of Earth. Like he can't stand Earth, just wants to get off of Earth. Um, and that's really his clear intentions is just to, to take advantage of Jesus and his superhuman abilities. So this is where... A little less structured but where i want the movie to go so the rest of the movie we're going to have a series of flashbacks that show jake and jesus training similar to instead of basketball basically it will be jake and jesus have very similar powers um so it's jake trying to help jesus understand how to use his powers and all that uh again at a certain time jake will be hard on jesus he's never really going to hurt him despite the fact that he is kind of hitting him with pure energy and all that uh we're establishing like you know maybe he gets a little heated but again like no bruises no cut skin no blood or anything like that just maybe more emotional beating than anything but in addition to the flashbacks we're gonna have several different characters and people who are going to interact with jesus and try and persuade him to go to different places so he's gonna have Four people from his life and an additional three ambassadors from other planets are going to show up throughout the movie, right? One planet is going to offer him a palace that is just full of women or men, whatever he's into, right, of his choosing. Uh, the planet doesn't have a whole lot of threats. It's not going to be a lot of work for him. He'll have to do some work here and there. But basically, he's going to end up becoming a token of beauty to be worshipped on this this planet, right, When he if he joins this league. Now... Lala 
is going to be in cahoots with a, a planet that is basically in charge of like the Galactic Federation's reserve, right? A banking planet. It's going to offer to build him a vault of riches. If anything, he could possibly want. He'll have more wealth than he could ever imagine beyond anyone's dreams. Um, but basically what they're going to do is like he would be used to, to collect debts for them. He would become an enforcer. That's how he would have to use his abilities. Uncle Bubba still being around wants him to go basically to uh, this planet where he'll be free from having to actually do anything. Like they don't really want him to use his powers. They just like they, you know, they're making a, an offer to him. They've been basically giving Bubba some money behind the scene to try and entice him. But at the end of the day, you know, Bubba's been taking the bribes. But this whole the whole thing behind this this group of heroes is like they don't really do anything. Right. Now, his coach was an integral part of his life, too. So his coach is going to try and convince him. He's part of, you know, the academy and all that. He's going to try and convince him to go to the capital planet, kind of like a Coruscant-type situation at the, the center of the Federation. Basically, there he'll be offered a seat on, like, the Council of Superheroes, you know, the the highest council of heroes, and, that they, you know, they'll, they'll groom him to one day take over and be, like, the face, like, to be the Superman of the Justice League. Like, he will be the face of the Federation's heroes and stuff like that. Statues will be built of him. You know, his name will be remembered for eternity. Another planet um offers him just non-stop action and adventure basically it's a dangerous mound of rock filled with hate but he can grow his power there like if he like any anger he has just he can destroy anything it's a planet where there will always be war it's just he'll always be victorious because of the again how grow how much his power grows big time willie who we did not bring up in in our our discussion is going to try and get him to stay on earth and basically convince him you know claim that you know nobody else really needs him you know uh, his mentor and previous peers have already you know are here on earth and all that he should just stay there and prove that he's better than all them you know basically feed into his ego that he should just stay home and show and keep his worth there he doesn't need to feed into any of that and lastly we're gonna have kind of a fat ghoulish ambassador to another planet who's gonna offer Jesus an opportunity to join him in protecting stockpiles of galactic like resources, right? Many of which are just destroyed rather than being shipped out, you know, to different places on uh, on the galaxy. Like Earth could use all these things, and Jake is very or not Jake, but Jesus is very close with Earth and understands. Like he's now realizing kind of how the politics and all that work, and that ultimately all these things could help Earth, but you know these people are assholes not doing anything so the ambassador tells jesus essentially you know you never really truly feel power until you have something everybody else wants but they can't have it even if it's to the point of just destroying it right just that gluttony right right so now that we've gotten through the seven deadly sins the movie will climax with a fight between jake and jesus um, it's going to mirror their training, much like what we did with the movie and the basketball training. During the fight, we'll uh, continue to do a couple more flashbacks uh, with what got Jesus' mother killed. Uh, and essentially what will happen is it'll be revealed that during a fight with like a rival superhuman, Jake recklessly kind of expels too much energy and winds up destroying a city block. Um, Jesus winds up being is with him, but winds up being unfazed by it because he has the same powers as him. And we've already kind of established through some of the other training that the, for whatever reason, the, the power that Jake emits doesn't seem to really phase Jesus that much. So, but it winds up vaporizing anyone and everything around him, including Jake's wife. Mary is in at home or in this scene. We'll, you know, have some kind of dialogue as to why she's away and, and not there at the time. Cause I don't want Mary to die. 
Um, but although it's it's basically determined that it was an act of self-defense because of the level of destruction that Jake caused and the lives that he took, he still winds up being in a metahuman jail, right? So the movie ends up with Jake being overpowered by his son. As Jake is taken back into custody, he reminds Jesus, you know, uh, that everything that happened, uh, it's all happened because he couldn't let go of hate, right? And that's the reason why he wound up getting into this fight with this other superhuman that wound up destroying his life. And that if Jesus can't learn to do the same thing, he's doomed to walk the same path as his father. Kind of echoes what we saw in this movie. Again, that was the messaging I really loved in the whole thing. So we get into our final, you know, ending of our movie here. So Jesus winds up transferring to the senator's planet, which is not one of the seven that we described earlier, but he winds up going there uh, to, to, to help his dad out. But Jake's deal is not honored because he removed his inhibitors during that fight. Because remember, he wasn't supposed to have powers outside of the prison. He removed his inhibitors, and it made wind up making up too much noise, right? There's a big fight and all that. People are going to see that. So now, right, the the warden and the and the senator have kind of egg on their face because he got out. So, like, they can't really let him go because he made too much of a, of a scene. Jesus and Mary. But at that point, you know, they have rekindled Jake and Jesus. So Jesus and Mary wind up receiving letters. And Jake's letter to Jesus, he talks about you know, being born with powers on the dirtball earth, right? Everything's in shambles and all that. And that Jake always felt like that was going to be his way of getting his family off of earth and into like the superhero government or something like that, into a, a better life than the one that they have. But the problem was he was never able to prove to any facility that he was strong enough. Like people in this universe have powers, but that doesn't mean that they're strong enough to actually be used useful for anybody so he was never able to actually get enough attention to be wanted by any kind of any group or anything like that uh he says you know essentially he knows that he pushed jesus away but that's because he needed jesus to be able to save the family in ways that he wasn't able to he needed him to be better right and he writes that beyond the superhuman power he hopes that he gave jesus the power to know what was right and to always do the right thing so while Jesus is reading this note, though, he notices a, a strange glowing energy, almost like a, a fingerprint or something on the letter, and he winds up touching it. And at that point, you see a, a massive amount of power transfer from the power into Jesus, almost giving him even more strength. And Jesus just looks up at the camera, and he just kind of smiles. And roll credits. Oh, so maybe a little on the what? nose with the transferring of, of power and, and legacy, but uh, you know, say in same vein as the I think the basketball scene at the end of of He Got Game. No, it might have been on the nose, but very much a take on this movie through the the modern lens of blockbusters. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you at any point, but a movie you didn't mention that this kind of reminded me of at least in the early stages with starship troopers. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Yep. Like talking about what you're going to do, you know, what planet you're going to go to, what role you're going to play. So that had to be immersed in your chop shop. I kudos to you. You went really high level. Like what is a modern blockbuster? There are certain elements that have to be there, including superpowers and well done. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. 
So I think we got, what, three more segments here. We got Blue Book, Tag and Title, and uh, our, our good old time capsule. Do you want to do some Blue Book? Let's do some Blue Book. Alrighty, so this week is going to be much like last week and a couple other weeks where uh, I don't know if this movie was released theatrically worldwide, um, but I have the budget and you will be able to guess the, the gross US and Canada is the same as gross worldwide. So you'll only be guessing one number this week, but the sticker price of this baby was $25 million. What do you think it made? Uh, I've always been a big fan of this movie, so I think I know that it wasn't a great success. Budget was twenty-five. I'll say, I'll say it made twenty-three. Alrighty, according to the IMDb's, this movie came in at twenty-one point five. Oh, yes. Now this, and that's by definition a bomb. Yeah. Um. This one, again, like over the top, it, according to my research, didn't have, like, worldwide was the same thing. I do have alternate titles from different countries, though. So I'll go ahead and give those to you. So, that, again, that's one of those things where I'm confused. I don't know if it was just they don't have the data or if it is it went straight to, like, VHS. Yeah, it may, it may have been a DVD. situation where it was a home media release in other yeah. markets, but not a theatrical so, our alt we're going to jump into some tag and title now. So, our alternate titles, we'll jump we'll do those real quick. Uh in Greece, this movie was called Man to Man. In Japan, it was called Last Game. In Germany, it was called Game of Life. And in Mexico, after doing the translation, it was "You will not forgive." <laughs> so yeah, that was one of those where like, I was not surprised he got game. Like that's pretty American slangy. I was like, I this has to have alternate like alternate yeah. title or yeah titles. So now let's jump into the tag section. I'm uh, I'm very interested to see what uh, what you get with this one. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. He must play for the sins of his father. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. The father, the son, and the holy game. Well, I love this movie since I was a kid. The father, son, the holy game. That's the tagline for this movie. Yes, Take it to the I, bank. This, this is the problem with your your fucking nostalgia picks. Is this this segment gets a little little muddy. Alright. So of the last two, fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free, and he must play for the sins of his father. What do you think is mine and what do you think is another movie adjacent? Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. One of those two taglines that are left, are they for Shawshank Redemption? <laughs> uh, one of yeah, yeah, you got it. Fear can uh -huh. hold you prisoner is the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah, and I swear I'm not a big Shawshank fan. I was just like, 
prison movie that lines up. So I think I got a perfect score this week, did yeah, I not? You did. This might be the first time. So I think you yeah, got I perfect plus bonus. Well, you got perfect plus bonus because I think the fact that you were able to name the alternate movie gives you bonus points. Perfect score. I think you've gotten perfect score before, but I don't know if you've been able to name the alternate movie. That's fair. That's fair. Go ahead and send me a Hollywood Chop Shop t-shirt in the mail just as a congratulations. Oh, yeah, you got it. Mm -hmm. Oh, hello there. Sorry to interrupt you as we, you know, get to the, the final segments here of He Got Game, but I thought this would be a great opportunity to let everybody know that you actually can get yourself a Hollywood Chop Shop t-shirt if you head over to cinemechanics.com. That's C-I-N-E-M-A-C-H-A-N-I-C-S dot com. If you order now, it'll probably be here in time for the holidays. Or perhaps you don't celebrate any holiday and you just want to support us. Either way, that's cinemechanics.com. C-I-N-E-M-A-C-H-A-N-I-C-S dot com. Thank you, and let's go ahead and get back to the rest of He Got Game. So, <laughs> with that concluded, do you have a do you have a time time capsule for us this week, sir? I do actually, and this is going to kind of break the mold. There's not a particular actor or you know Spike Lee or anybody behind the scenes producer wise that I want to go into. I do want to say, if you enjoyed this movie and especially have some love for the basketball elements, i got to recommend a movie that came out four years prior. White Man Can't Jump? So my jump? time capsule this week is going to be 1994's Blue Chips. Blue Chips, okay. Are you familiar with it at all? I am not. Probably because so it's a sports movie. So much like movie. he got game, real basketball players were cast, including Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. But I think Blue Chips does a good job of trying to minimize what their inexperience would do to the movie as a whole. So let me just read you some of the supporting actors that Blue Chips uh, cast in that movie. Uh, your lead is going to be Nick Nolte. He's playing the uh, college basketball coach who kind of compromises his morals to get good recruits. Uh, you got Mary McDonald as his wife. You've got J.T. Walsh as a booster at the college program that Nick Nolte coaches. You've got Al Bundy himself, Ed O'Neill, as a beat reporter covering that team. And you've got Alfre Woodard as the mother of one of the players who is putting pressure on the university to, you know, kind of pay her under the table to make sure her son goes there. Uh, there's nothing as dramatic as, you know, a mom getting killed or a dad going to prison for an extended period of time. So the stakes are a little bit lower. But if you enjoy the seedy underside of college athletics, especially in the 90s, I recommend Blue Chips. All right. Cool. Nope. Interesting. Alrighty, sir. Well, final assessment. What did you? What are your final thoughts of he got game? 
this might not be fair because I might be talking about your feelings more than my own. To quote my grandmother, I'm tickled to death that you enjoyed this movie. I thought for sure you were going to hate it. <laughs> I thought this was a movie where if you weren't a hardcore basketball fan, you wouldn't be able to get much out of it. It encourages me to hear that for you, basketball is kind of just a backdrop. Um, so you almost elevated this segment for me because I was planning to say if you're not a hardcore basketball fan, you should probably skip it. Um, but hearing you, I think this movie has something to offer for almost everybody. So I think you got to give it a watch. For me, it's a must own. In fact, I do own it. Um, but if you, if you like a family drama in any way, watch it. If you like basketball on top of that, own it. So that's my review. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I think this movie has a lot of interesting thing going for it. That's worth watching. Like I said, uh, we, when we started off the, the episode with the, the juxtaposition of the Aaron Copeland score you know classic you know small town america score with the the urban core i i think was just i haven't really seen a lot of stuff done like that i think there's a lot of experimentation in this film uh, with lighting and with the way shots are done even to the point where you know there's a the scene where they're i forget the name of their group what is it the the line breakers or the uh, we're the rail splitters rail and splitters. no one's fucking with us yeah, when they introduce the rail splitters, uh, it's very interesting the way that how he introduces those those kids and then them coming together like you know their their little posse there. There's just a lot of interesting things going on in this movie. Um, I do think the ending is a little bit of a to your point that you keep they don't commit to the happy ending or the downer ending, which leaves you kind of. When you're doing it, you're like, what the fuck just happened? Especially with the way it happened, with the whole magic basketball. Like, it, to me, it's just like, I wish that's not how they ended the movie, because to me, it kind of knocks it down a notch from where I would have put it prior to that. I also think that there's some gratuitous sex scenes that don't need to be in this movie at all. It's just, in the way they treat women is kind of shitty. Like, they're almost just, you know, uh, sex vessels. Um for for large portions of the movie but overall i i do think it's a, a a good movie and i think there's it's worth watching and to your point i think there's a, a cultural significance to it as well so i i definitely say i don't think i'll own this movie um it's not going to be one that i go back and watch a lot but it's definitely one that if somebody wanted to watch again i'd watch it i think it's a little too long too I wish there's definitely pete's Agreed. I'd love to... uh, again that's why you got to cut out mila jovovich to me yeah, I, this does I, not need to be two and a half hours. I'd love to see a the like made for TV cut of the, like if you were going to do a made for TV cut of this, but then keep in all of the like nudity and like violence or language and all that stuff. I just want to see how somebody would recut this movie if you wanted to shed 30, 45 minutes out of it to make it a more condensed story. Because there's definitely pieces of it that I don't think add to the story or to the characters at all. It's just a you know to your point maybe the seedy underbelly of of college athletics giving a little bit because spike lee likes to do that and there's some of the stuff where they like they interject some of the stuff about drug usage i'm like this just feels like we're shoehorning this in to talk about you know 
what's going on in, in the projects rather than it actually pertaining to what's happening to the our, our characters here. Um, but again, Denzel is absolutely fantastic in this movie. I think his relationship with his son and the redemption and the one-on-one, I, I definitely think this is worth a watch. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The, the drug use and all that stuff, that felt a little bit scattershot, like it, it needed to be in a different Spike Lee movie. Mm-hmm. So again, like you said, the runtime could be trimmed with some of these excess ideas that don't necessarily fit the movie that we want to see. Yeah, I think it's a great story about a father and a son and their redemption and them trying to, to rekindle their relationship. And I think there's a couple extra like pieces in there that could easily have been removed to make it a, a stronger movie. 100% agreed. Alrighty. Well, hopefully y'all will come back for the wrap-up, the Sports Dad wrap-up. Uh, we do have a little bit of housekeeping news. We did decide to call an Audible, and we're not going to do the socially obligated holiday uh, Christmas trilogy. Instead, we're going to do what we're calling the New and Shiny Toy Trilogy. So we're going to review three brand-new releases for the next trilogy, uh, starting with Don't Look Up, which is a Netflix special followed with spider-man no way home so that'll be probably our first actual theater review so i can't wait to hear how that experience affects the movie and then we're gonna follow it up with the matrix 4 so we look forward to all of that hopefully y'all will come back and uh have an absolutely wonderful rest of your day weekend week wherever you're choosing to listen to this Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you all next week. And uh, in the meantime, Brett, mm-hmm. then go ahead and take your big ass back into the kitchen. Bye. But that's fair. I'll give Jake another week uh, to convince me. But in the meantime, uh, let's go ahead and review He Got Game. I'll re-record that last line. <laughs> In the meantime. In the meantime. Beep, boop, beep, 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 beep.